that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Let's record a podcast Awesome. But first, uh, let's say thanks to the folks over here that are doing sign language. I got to run into them outside. Thank you. It's so awesome. They're willing to provide that, that service. So we're really grateful. Thank you. So um, usually what we do when we, we record a podcast is we take phone calls. But since you're here tonight, Let's, let's, have a, a, let's have a little bit of a talk. So we set up a microphone over here. And Sean, if you're ready to record, can I get some sort of signal somewhere? <laughs> That's a signal. Check, check. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, podcast Sean. He is the man behind the minimalism, and uh, he keeps our podcast sounding good. We're grateful for that. So we'll go ahead and, and get started. Hello, everyone. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Welcome to a live version of The Minimalist Podcast. We are here at the Neptune Theater in beautiful Seattle. <laughs> That is so great. So uh, the way we're going to do it, we'll, we'll do three long-winded questions. Actually, long-winded answers. They'll be normal questions, I'm sure. But our, our answers will, will be um, uh, maundering in, in some fashion. Uh, and then we'll move on to a lightning round. And we've been doing the lightning round a little bit differently. We're, we have a rap battle on stage, but without the rapping. But uh, it's a bit of a contest between this to see who can, who can put out the, the pithiest maxims. And we're going to go ahead and start. Go ahead and give us your name and uh, where you're from and what your question is. Hi there. My name is Yumi. I'm from Issaquah, Washington. And Howdy. I have been one of your fans for about six months. Okay. And I am one of those obnoxious corporate America success folks. I'm a director of operations, just like you, Josh. My question for you is, after you have found the success that you have found, what has changed in your experience as a minimalist? Because I feel that I've adopted a lot of the things that you and Ryan have described, and I found a lot of happiness in my husband right over there, second row over there. He's, he's very happy that I have adopted your minimalist philosophy as, you know, you can see I have a Chanel necklace here, so I find a lot of value in my Chanel necklace, so I'm going to keep it. But, you know, after you found your success and your happiness in this philosophy, what has changed for you in, in, in the uh, maxim that you have for your life? after the next the, the, the past year or so sure so uh, i can tell you quite a few well, not even quite a few things everything has changed for me over the last seven years there's no question about that but but many things have have changed gradually as well i think the thing that, that was most noticeable within the first year or two was that i started to align my actions with the person i wanted to be as opposed to the person i was supposed to be this this image of whatever you might call it the american dream or corporate success or 
or fill in the blank. I mean, it, it really, it, we're often living up to someone else's ideals. And I know I certainly was. Living towards someone else's expectations, letting other people set the standards for my life. And that was quite a problem. And now I, I get the opportunity to have fewer expectations in my life, but high standards still. And so I've raised my standards with respect to the most important areas of my life, my health, uh, you know, I used to weigh 80 pounds more than I weigh now. My relationships are better than they've ever been. Um, and, and I'm more creative in, in different ways than I've ever been. And, and those were areas I forsook for the longest time. And now I'm able to focus on those things. But a lot of other things have changed in my life as well. You know, I have a three-year-old now. And so my life at 35 looks drastically different, even from my minimalist life at 28 or 29. And, and that's because as my circumstances change, as any of our circumstances change, it's appropriate to ask, what adds value to my life? Let go of the things that don't, but also be willing to bring new things into your life that, that do add value. And so I'm constantly asking that question. And I think that's the thing about minimalism is we never get there. There isn't a destination. I really wish I could give you all a printout list of the hundred items you can own and then be happy. But I think happiness is the problem. I think happiness is something we chase and chase and chase and then we get these little fleeting bits of pleasure we mistake pleasure for happiness but we all know instinctually that pleasure isn't happiness you know you can eat a hot fudge sundae every single day and you'll get pleasure out of it in the moment it's not going to make you very happy the next day or the next day or the next day. In fact, the discontent is going to compound day after day. And so instead now, I live a more meaningful life, and happiness tends to be a beautiful byproduct of that. So I'm, when people ask me, are you happy these days, my honest answer to that is I'm happier. I don't walk around in a perpetually manic state. <laughs> I don't think that would be healthy. But I am certainly happier, but more important than that, I live a life of purpose, and, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I just want to start off by saying, you know, we're not against, uh, like, people who work for corporations. I mean, I think, <laughs> well, I mean, she started her question off, like, I'm one of those annoying people that works at a corporation, and I'm, <laughs> but, you know, it's, if, if, um, I think about this a lot, like if our books spontaneously combusted, uh, you know, the web, the internet blew up, um, and like I had to go find a normal nine to five job, I would have no problem um, if I found the right corporation to work for. For me, when the, the corporation I was working for, uh, more importantly, the, the things that I was doing at that job, it just, it did not align with my, my long-term values and beliefs. And that is where um, I think it can get really dangerous. And I think that's like a perfect recipe for discontent. So I'm just throwing that out there because I don't want people to feel bad if they, you know, if they got a regular nine to five. Um, I think as long as you're doing something that aligns with those long-term values and beliefs, that's, that's the important part. And that's really how much or how my life has changed uh, so much over the last several years. I remember when that packing party, uh, when that was over, when the party was over. <laughs> and I was sitting there looking at, you know, 80% of my, my boxes, my, or 80% of my stuff still sitting in those boxes. And I thought about, 
like the narrative that I was playing out and what I was telling myself. And, you know, up to that point, I always told myself like, well, if you work really hard and you save enough money, you could probably retire at a young age, 45, 50. And then I could do what I actually wanted to do once I, you know, once I could get to that, that point of retirement. But until then, you know, I was going to work those 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. But then like, I sat there and thought to myself, wait a minute, here are tens of thousands of dollars worth of things that I have put in those long work weeks uh, to buy, like for those things. I didn't really have much of a savings at that point. So there was like kind of the first first, uh, alarm bell that was going off. I was like, wait a minute, I don't really have a savings right now. And if I didn't buy all this stuff, I could have tens of thousands of dollars sitting in the bank account. And then I thought to myself, what are the other things I wanted to do when I retired? Well, I'd really love to, to, to travel more, or I'd really love to spend time, more time with the people that I love. And again, I thought to myself, wait a minute, if I hadn't spent those long work weeks forsaking some of the most important relationships of my life, if I, if I wasn't so focused on consuming, I could have actually spent more time with my mom, spent more time with my dad. Now, at the time, my mom lived about a half hour away, and I saw her six or seven times a year. And, you know, every time I'd show up at a holiday, get together with the family, or, uh, you know, show up for Mother's Day or whatever, they would always, like, assure me how good I was doing in life. Like, yeah, man, you know, Ryan, he's living the corporate dream. He's our corporate success. You know, good for him. It's okay. We don't see you all the time. We know you're busy. But, you know, it, it didn't feel okay. And I started to realize that what my priorities were really weren't actually my priorities. Because at that time, if you were to ask me, hey, Ryan, what are your priorities? I would have said, oh, well, health, that's a priority. If I'm not healthy, well, then what do I, what do I have if I don't have my health? But what was I doing? I was, I was drinking a lot. I was doing a lot of drugs. I was leaving the bar at 2 a.m. And, um, in Ohio, we got White Castle. So I would like, <laughs> like hit up White Castle at two o'clock in the morning. So I think that's really that, that does not deserve applause. <laughs> so I think that's very and you know, I would have said, oh, my relationships, those are important. But how was I spending my time? It certainly wasn't with the, the people I loved or that meant a lot to me. I mean, I was spending time with, with people, but it was the wrong people. Uh, you know, I would have said, oh, well, con- contribution, like that's really important. You know, you got to get out there and give back. I mean, I wasn't really giving anything. So what I realized was that, you know, my priorities, it's not what I give lip service to. It's what I actually do. So what I've been able to do over the last several years is to make those priorities my actual priorities. And, and I think to Josh's point, living a meaningful life, like that is the point of, that is the point of, exist, of existence for me. And to, to live a meaningful life, that means my short-term actions are aligning with my long-term values and beliefs. And that is what I really am so grateful for. Um, we did an interview earlier today uh, for a, a newspaper over in, um, it's, it's over in Japan, but they sent someone out here to, to interview us, and they're actually here at the event tonight. But he asked us, you know, what happens if, um, you know, people stop showing up at your events and, uh, you know, you can't do this anymore and you can't tour the world, what are you going to do? Are you still going to be a minimalist? And I'm like, yes, like, absolutely. <laughs> 
Like, uh, it's great that Josh and I can tell our story. We can share our message and, you know, we can come out to Seattle and hang out with, you know, 800 people. That is, that is so cool. Um, but you know, regardless of this or not, like I will always, always make sure that my short-term actions align with my long-term values and beliefs. Now I'm not perfect like anyone else in here, but I will tell you that since I've adopted this philosophy, I've been able to have a lot more wins uh, than losses for sure. Thank you. I, I mean, I really appreciate your comments because as a woman working in tech and as someone who's in a leadership position, sometimes I feel like I have to stay in what I'm doing because there are few minority women like me in a technology leadership position where I can make impact. And so that's where I feel like I bring my values. So thank you so much. And I, and I feel like you've made a big impact in our lives, my husband and I. <laughs> so thank you so much. I just want to say that. I'm grateful. Oh, you're thank welcome. you so much. Thank you for that. Howdy. Hi. My name is Mari, and I'm here from Palm Desert, California. Uh, I'm here with my mom, and this is our Mother's Day celebration coming here tonight Aww. together. Uh, Happy no Mother's Day. <laughs> Happy early Mother's Day. <laughs> Thank you. Nothing better than giving a gift of an experience, so that's why we're here. Um, First and foremost, thank you for all the value that you've added to my life, and it's affected my family and uh, people that I know, and so it's, it's just incredible. Here's my question. Um, I want to know if you think it's possible in a marriage to be with somebody who has different core values than you do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let, let's talk about this. Uh, uh, I, well, I need you to expand on it a little bit. My, my short answer to you is no. You talked about it. I heard it on a podcast, yeah. another live event. You actually answered a similar question. You said if you had similar beliefs that sometimes, as long as you might have similar beliefs but different values. Other way around. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so I, the way I look at it is our values, and there are different types of values. So Ryan and I record a, a values episode of the podcast. I, I would encourage, encourage anyone to go back and listen to it. It's episode number uh, 69. And if, if you... The thing about our values is I don't think they change very much over the, over the long haul. They, they might morph a little bit. And... and or I think for most of us, we don't know what our values are. And, and that's where we really, really get tripped up. So it's not about changing our values. It's about discovering what they actually are. I know for me, when I spent most of my 20s climbing the corporate ladder, I, I was going against my values, but that wasn't intentional necessarily. It's just because I didn't know. I, I didn't know what was valuable to me. I, and so I let someone else create the template for me. And so uh, in our first book, Ryan, and I wrote, uh, it's called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. We wrote about the five core values, or really what I would call foundational values. Core values are a little bit different. Uh, health, relationships, 
passion, or you might call it creativity, growth and contribution. Those are the initial values that I uncovered for living a more meaningful life. I think once you have that, it's sort of like the foundation of a house, and then you build on top of that your, your core values. So core values might be things like education and sexuality, and, and I mean, I have a list of about 20, 25 values I talked about a little bit in that podcast, and I've been writing a bit about it as well because I, I hope it makes its way into a, a future book at, at some point. Um, but I think that those values can be a little bit different, but they're going to be pretty similar. And you can have different values on your list, but if they're radically different or they're opposing values, that's where we start to get into trouble. Uh, the last two sets of values we have are our uh, minor values. These are things that add value to our lives occasionally. Uh, they're not needs or, or necessities, but they're wants and likes that we truly do get value from. And then there's the, the fourth area, the fourth layer there. These are the imaginary values. They're not real values at all. And we get so caught up in that. And I find for some of us, like something that might be an imaginary value in my life could actually be a minor value for you. So I'll give you an example. An imaginary value for, for me in my personal life is social media. I stopped using social media about a month ago. And <laughs> Um, at least on my phone. And so I still have social media accounts and if I, if I want to post to them on, when I get to a, you know, a, a glowing screen and I can, I can type something out, I will do that. But I, I no longer have, the, have it on, on, on my person all the time, right? I heard someone recently refer to the, the smartphone as the 79th organ. And, and it feels that way sometimes, right? I was, I was eating lunch at this fine dining establishment today Chipotle. <laughs> and um, I, I, while I was there, I, I, I noticed I was in line and like I was the only person not staring at my screen. But I also know that a month and a half ago, I probably would have been and not been thinking about it that much. So it's not me judging anyone. It's just me becoming more aware. And I think ultimately awareness is the most precious kind of freedom. And so I think we need to identify what our values are. And then we often need to surround ourselves with people who have similar values. The, the belief side is a bit different. I'll give you a couple examples real quick. So Ryan and I have very similar values. We have pretty different beliefs. We also have different personalities as well. He is an extrovert. I'm an introvert. He is like really in the moment all the time. And I am like the guy who wants to plan everything out six months in advance. And, and um, because we, we are, if you put us on a Myers-Briggs scale, like we are polar opposites, but we complement each other in a way. And so as a result, we tend to have different beliefs as well because we have different personalities. So um, one example is one of us is religious, one of us isn't, uh, and uh, well, we voted for two different people in the last election. <gasps> How could you possibly be best friends with someone who voted for someone else different from you? Well, it's because we have different we have different beliefs, and so but we have the same values. So the beliefs are the path that get you to those values. You can take a different path from someone and still get to the same place, but you need to make sure you're going to the same place. I can tell you that um, the reason my marriage ended, one of the reasons at least, is we didn't share similar values. And that's okay. It doesn't mean I was in the wrong or she was in the wrong. It was wrong for us. 
And I forsook that for so long that it dragged out for an eight-year period, whereas if I would have been more aware, I could have caught that a lot earlier. We could have addressed it, addressed it a lot earlier. And so now with my partner, we constantly have difficult conversations. We talk about our values a lot. We talk about our beliefs. And we talk about whether or not we still want to be in this relationship. And that sounds harsh at first, but you, we know that we're both willing to walk away from the relationship now. And because of that, it makes it so much stronger because you always know that other person is there, not out of convenience or out of proximity, but because they really want to be there. Uh, I wouldn't say it's impossible. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's impossible to be with someone that has different core values or between two people who have different core values, but it certainly makes it challenging, right? I mean, you know, when I first met Mariah, um, we got along really, really well. Uh, then, like, at some point, you know, she's like, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a minimalist. She's like, I really don't want to be a minimalist. Like, I've got, like you know, 60 pairs of shoes. And, you know, that for me, it wasn't... It's like, actually, it's 62 pairs of shoes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for me, like, that wasn't, uh, like in, that wasn't something for me to, you know, break up the relationship because at the end of the day, like, I really loved Mariah. I, I really loved who she was. And... I was, you know, willing to continue that relationship based upon the other qualities that she had. And now, you know, I, I love her more than anything. And she doesn't have 60 pairs of shoes anymore. Which, by the way, I've never told her that she's had to get rid of anything. Um, she will just kind of do some stuff, like she'll challenge herself. Um, like the first thing she did is she was like, you know, I'm going to challenge myself to get rid of at least like 10 pairs of shoes. And again, like I never suggested her to her to do this. And uh, she ended up getting rid of like 20 pairs or something. But what I'll say is as time has moved on, A, Mariah has gone out of her way to try to support me because she loves me and wants me to be happy. And I do the same thing with her. Um, you know, I don't know how many pairs of shoes she has right now. Like, I don't count those. I don't keep track. But as long as I can, you know, walk in the bedroom and walk in the closet and I'm not tripping over stuff, then that, that's okay with me. Um, if it got to that point where I was tripping over stuff, I would just have that hard conversation. I'd be like, hey, you know, I don't care how many pairs of shoes you have, but I just want to be able to, like, walk into the closet if, you know. <laughs> that's never been a problem, by the way. But I'm, I'm just saying, you know, to your point of, yeah, you can absolutely be in a relationship with someone where you have different values, what it comes down to at that point is like, how much do you love that person and how, how much are you willing to give uh, to make that relationship work? Because at the end of the day, the people that we love and the people that we want to be happy, we will support them no matter what. It doesn't mean that, you know, I approve of... Um, Oh, I'm not, I'm not trying to call any friends or family out or anything. But, I mean, there's some things that they're involved with that, like, I just, I don't really approve of. And it's, now, at the end of the day, like, I'm not going to go out of my way to spend uh, a bunch of time with those folks. But I certainly will support them whenever I can. The, the chances that I have to support them to, to help them in any way, like, I will absolutely do that. So you've got to decide, or if you're asking for a friend, they've got to decide, 
um, you know, how much do they want to give towards that relationship? I think what, what it comes down to with, with a relationship where two different people have extremely different values is that they both have to be willing to give as much as possible. Don't keep track of who's giving more than whom, but just keep track if that person is, is trying to give back because sometimes, sometimes people will just take, and I think that is where relationships can turn pernicious, and especially when a victim becomes a victimizer, like that's probably the worst uh, relationship to, to stay in. And it doesn't mean that that, you know, that that person is wrong or that person's bad. It just means that you know, th- those two people aren't you know, necessarily compatible. But I would say at the end of the day, if you are willing to support each other and, and willing to give as much as possible, each of you, like, that relationship can absolutely work. It might make it a little bit more difficult with the different values, but it can, it can totally still work. Two, two other quick things, just, just real quick. One is if you're thinking you're not compatible with someone, there's a good chance you're probably not. And I know that's, that, that's a hard thing to hear. It's a hard thing for me to say, but um, I've learned from experience at this point. Uh, and then a uh, second thing is I'll just echo what Ryan said. If, if every relationship should be give and take, I should be getting something from a relationship. I should be able to give something from a relationship as well. Otherwise, and it doesn't mean it's equal. I'm not sure, I shouldn't always give what I expect to get. Sometimes I can give way more to a friendship, an acquaintance, a, a romantic relationship than I can take. Sometimes I need more from that than I can give at that time, and that's okay. If both people go into that relationship with the understanding, I think that's great. And the last thing I'll say is, well, I don't think our values will necessarily change that much. They might shift a little bit. Our beliefs can change radically over time. Uh, I'll give you one example from my own life. Um, if you would have come to me five years ago and asked me if I was ever going to have kids, my answer was no. Hell no. <laughs> it is hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And, and then I met Rebecca, and she had a one-year-old, Ella. And uh, actually, Ella's the reason that we met. We, she was, Ella was flirting with me at the grocery store. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's how we met. And, and my initial belief was, no, there's no way. That's not the, ra- that's not the road I want to go down. And, and I, I need to be honest about that so that I don't, uh, I, I don't, like, I don't ha- give birth to a kid and then all of a sudden I, I'm not the right parent for that. But then I, I eased into this relationship and I realized, wow, like Rebecca is so outstanding. Like in this relationship is so ideal that I need to lean all the way in and not just tolerate or accept the fact that we have a, a kid together now, but really respect and appreciate that if I want to be able to get the full joy from it. Yeah, Ella is awesome. She's on Twitter too, at Ella Sandwich, by the way. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Howdy. Hi, my name is Paula from Seattle. Hey, Paula. Hi, thanks for coming to Seattle. Thank I've you. I've been following you for about the last year, and I feel awesome. like I know you. I have your podcast in my ear all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I am an accidental minimalist, and um, unknowingly I have been working through a lot of these things in my life over the last 10 years. Um, and I'm really grateful that you talk a lot about not just the stuff, but in every area of our lives. And I had a whole question crafted that I was going to you know, ask about my business. I'm an interior designer, so I work with in people's homes. 
But as I was sitting here, I realized, and you actually touched on it a minute ago, but I want to go deeper with it. I really needed to kind of get real about what I still need to work on. And I am addicted to social media. And I, I've listened to one of your podcasts, and sometimes I, I've, I've moved my Facebook over to another page on my phone, so it's not on the front page. Um, but I also need to use social media for my business, like you guys, writing and, you know, I need to have presence out there. I've worked recovery in other areas of my life, and I'm beginning to wonder if I need to do some steps on this. So, <laughs> um, I also find that I'm over-stimulated, and that, has, that just sucks the life out of me, too. I love the information I'm getting, but I spend way too much time on there. So I'm going to recommend a podcast that you listen to, just one podcast episode. It is uh, Ezra Klein has, has a podcast, and um, it's with a friend of ours. His name's Cal Newport. You've probably heard me recommend one of his books before. Uh, he has a couple great ones. Deep Work is one of them, and another book he has called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And while I would certainly recommend either one of those books, when it comes to social media, he had a great interview with Ezra Klein. Now, Cal is a bit on the extreme side of the spectrum. He has a, a great TEDx talk, which I would also recommend. It's called Quit Social Media. And here's the thing, I don't necessarily agree with his thesis, with his, with his thesis and the reason I, I don't is because I know that I actually do get value from it, but I, I have to question, is that value worth the time that I'm spending on it? And about a month, month and a half ago, the answer to that question was, was no. And so I still find myself twitching for the phone occasionally, but I have this little, uh, I don't know if you all listened to that episode that Ryan and I did on media, but I have this little app on my phone now called Moment, and it tracks the, the usage on my phone. And I mean, my usage has gone down by about half at this point on my phone because I'm no longer incessantly checking. I mean, there were times I'd open up the Moment app, and it's like, yesterday, you spent 24 minutes on Twitter, and I didn't even remember getting on Twitter at all. And then, so the question is, well, the question isn't, should I get rid of social media? The question is, how can I better spend this time? And if you're saying, no, social media is the absolute best use of, of my time, then great. I mean, I have a friend named Colin Wright who is a very talented author and he does a great job with curating his social media and, and using it as a broadcast mechanism, but he is a robot and he doesn't have any sort of addictive personalities like I do or addictive tendencies like I do. And so I realized that no, I, I, while I was getting some value from it, it wasn't commiserate with the amount of time I was spending on it. So we had to make an intentional effort. You know, thankfully, we, um, we have Jessica Williams, who's around here somewhere. You'll see her afterward at the... Oh, there she is right there. Ladies and gentlemen, Jess Williams. So we, we hired Jess a while ago to help us out with, with our social media because um, we wanted to help we're always asking that question, does this add value with the stuff? But I had to do the same thing with Twitter, right? I'm not going to send a tweet and say, here's a picture of my pancakes this morning. Because A, I don't, a, I don't think anyone cares, but I, I think it's, it's really narcissistic, borderline solipsistic to be like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. But at the same time, 
I do want to send stuff out that does add value to people's lives. So Jess does a great job curating articles about intentional living or simplicity or meditation or just curious questions. And, and what we try to do with that is realize that, you know, there's 1.9 billion people on Facebook. They'll reach 2 billion people this year. And, and, and you know what? A lot of those people, instead of us just adding to that noise, maybe we can try to cut through the noise and provide something meaningful for the people who, who, who show up there. But me personally, you're not going to see me hanging out on Facebook. Yeah, I, I would encourage you to just try, try some experimenting out. Like uh, during that media episode, Josh and I deleted all the social media off of our, off of our phones and for, I haven't added it back. Actually, I take that back. I added Instagram back when I was in Japan um, a couple weeks ago. And then when I got back to the States, I deleted it. Uh, the reason why I wanted it in Japan is because like, I, I wanted to share my experience. I can't tell you how many people were like, take lots of pictures. And I'm like, all right, like, I, will, I will totally uh, share this experience. Um, we had a meetup in Tokyo, like a, just kind of like a spontaneous meetup. It was really cool to like, you know, share that with everyone and be like, hey, look, like just having a random meetup in Tokyo, this is great. But what I'll tell you is it's taught me a lot. Um, a, it's, it's taught me how much I was twitching for those apps. And, and B, it's taught me to instill uh, just some different boundaries and different rules in my life. So, you know, now I have to really plan to look at social media uh, to, to get on my laptop. And some of like Instagram, you can't really, all you can do is like stuff. So I really don't get on Instagram anymore. Um, because, Isn't that amazing how, yeah. I mean, the, the founder of Instagram called it visual crack. And I don't think he meant that pejoratively, but I sure as hell would, right? Like, it was, it was literally yeah. uh, as addictive as, as, uh, as drugs. I mean, we've proven this. You, know, that you, you realize that these app designers, I mean, while they're not inherently bad or evil, we are facing something for the first time in our lives where you have a, a thousand engineers behind your screen figuratively, right, on that, working on one app and designing it to get you to stay there longer, to click more, to open it more frequently, to engage, to post, so that you can provide content for their advertising platform. So, I mean, I, I would encourage you to do, to do things like that. Um, I'll tell you, when I got rid of Facebook on my phone, that made me have to, have to go to the computer to check it. And it stressed me out. Like... I was, I mean, we were, we were uh, at the airport in Pittsburgh and I'm like, dude, this is really, like I have, I know I have like 200 notifications I have to go through. And you know what? I, I had one or two options. Well, I guess one of three options. Like I could continue down that road of being stressed out every day to check, you know, one to 200 notifications. I could have put the app back on my phone. But I did the third option. I got, I, I deactivated my account. Now, like the minimalist account is still there. That still adds a ton of value. Jess helps out with that. Not as stressful. But if it's getting to a point where it's a net negative and that's where it was for me, I, I just, I deactivated it. And I'm still alive. <laughs> now, <laughs> it's funny because I've had several, because I didn't like do the whole rant on Facebook like, oh, I'm deleting my account. Um, hey, y'all. I just gave it the Irish goodbye. But it's funny because, like, I'll have friends. Friends. 
I have friends and family that like I, I had a friend reach out to me today and he's like dude did you block me on Facebook <laughs> or my sister did you block me on Facebook I'm like no I just deleted it like I would never you still have my phone number like I wouldn't I wouldn't hide myself from you um, but so it kind of freaks some people out. But at the end of the day, like just, I'm not saying to go and delete all your accounts. Cause I know you said you use it for business and like, I don't want to delete the minimalist Facebook account. I think that adds a ton of value. But, uh, if, if there are personal accounts that are stressing you out, I promise you, you're going to feel better if you walk away from it. than if, then if you try to, uh, just take it in, you know, incremental doses, but you could try that. That's what I was doing for a while. Like I was just going to it once a day. Like I would check Facebook, uh, whether it was in the morning or night, I would do it once per day. I, I would spend about a half hour going through all the, the notifications and, you know, trying to interact and comment. Um, and, it, and it worked okay. Uh, it was nice because every time I would get that, you know, that twitch to look at the phone, I would just be like, oh, no, you'll, you'll, you'll get to look at it later. Um, but you could implement that with your business even. I mean, uh, I know some things, you know, maybe you do it twice a day. Whatever works for you. But I guess what I'm recommending to you is uh, either walk away from it or at least set up some boundaries that are going to make sense for how you need to use it. And the last thing I'll tell you is, is the, the pressure that you feel is almost 100% internal. Now, some people might have some unrealistic expectations. Hey, I messaged you on Facebook 45 minutes ago. Well, okay. Like, I, I, have, I have a Facebook, a personal Facebook account. I can't tell you the last time I actually used it. Um, but I, I know, I figured out last year how to go on there and check messages, and there were just thousands. And, and I just said, well, like, well, what's my option? I can either ignore all of them, or I could try to go in and answer a few of them. Uh, but the truth is, that's not the platform that I find value in. So a few practical tips for you. One is find the platform that is most valuable to you as your business or personally or both, right? And it could be different. You know, for us, we get a lot of value uh, to broadcast via Instagram and Facebook uh, on social media to broadcast as the minimalists. But personally, I prefer Twitter to the uh, to the other ones with these short little bursts. I also enjoy writing a lot more, and and that. That, that uh, platform forces concision and it makes your writing better because it's 140 characters. And so uh, I found that that's what works well for me. That's the one I gravitate toward when I want to create something, especially when I'm working on new writing ideas or new essay ideas. You'll see, I usually tweet one or two or three times a week from my own personal account, at JFM. And, and it's just these, these little lines that are working their ways into essays. It's almost a way for me to test out material. And that's a way to make it a net positive in my life. So maybe ask that question. How can I make this a net positive? And then for something like Instagram, my personal account, if I want to post to it, I, have, I either have to, here, I'll do one of two things. I'll borrow a friend's phone and open their Instagram app, log in, and then log out, remove my account. It's a pain in the butt. Or I will download Instagram to my phone, post the picture I want to post, and then delete the app from my phone immediately. And again, it's a pain in the butt, but I make that intentional so that it's easier for me to, uh, to let go of the thing and I'm not constantly checking it. Thanks. So first step, admitting powerlessness. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Good you. Thanks you. for all the support. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right, before we move on, if, if, if you all have a comment or tip for any, anyone who asked a question so far today, if you're listening to this at home at a later date, uh, you can give us a call, 406-219-7839, or send a voice memo from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com, and we will air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. Yeah, it is time for our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round. Speaking of social media, uh, we are on uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at the Minimalists. That's where we usually answer these lightning round questions. And we usually have a day to put together our minimal maxims for this. But now we just have a few seconds. And so you can ask your normal question. And what Ryan and I will try to do is, is answer it, but distill it down to 140 characters, at least eventually. It might take some rambling before we get there, though. Yeah. And then you get to vote. Like a- you, you vote via applause. So whoever whoever wins tonight... Um, oh, we all know you're going to win, Josh. <laughs> he stacks the deck this way. <laughs> you know, we usually have like a day to prepare these pithy answers. It's, it's very... Uh, it's challenging to do it on the spot. But all right, here we go. Go ahead. Howdy. Hi, my name's Christina. I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh, thanks for making the drive down. Yeah. We'll be up Thank there you. really soon. So excited to be here. Um, I've, in December, I took a challenge to get rid of 520 things in eight weeks. And after seeing your documentary, I decided to just go for it. And now it's been over 1,200 items. Nice. And my, yeah. my daughter's really proud. She shows my little checklist to people and how many things I've gotten rid of. Except sometimes she gets anxiety and she asks, Mommy, are we still going to keep this? So hopefully she'll... How old is she? She's six. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, The question that I have, and forgive me if the answer is obvious, but I can't seem to figure it out in my head. Um, As I've been taking a lot of my digital files and uploading them onto a hard drive, I've been backing them up online as well. I don't know how eventually when I pass away, my family will get access to this. How would they get the login and see all the stuff that I've been storing of photos and whatnot. And I, I guess I just don't want the pictures to die with me and just be lost in this internet world. So do you have any practical solutions on how to bypass those logins and how I can communicate that information to them? Yes, and I will eventually try to distill this down to a, a tweetable answer. But I'll, t- I'll just tell you what I do first. Um, <laughs> Um, what I do is I have a printout in a file cabinet. It's right next to my will with my, my passwords for my social media accounts. And Dude, you're telling everyone where your passwords are at. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's next to my will in the safety deposit box. And his address is... <laughs> no, and so you want, you want a, a secure place, like, like a, a safety deposit box or a locked file cabinet or someone you trust. Um, like this guy, and and what what I what I have is that person or persons will have logins to anything that I want them to have logins. So I've given the username and the password, which by the way I update those, and every time I update it, I have to make sure that that they have access to that. But once you do that, then then you can feel secure in letting go. So here's my my short, I'm trying to work out this short answer here. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so, um, I'm trying to get to 140 characters, right? So um, there's nothing wrong with prepping as long as it's psychological prepping. (laughs) 
And, and what I mean by that is, is we want to, we want to relieve the burden uh, not on ourselves, but on someone else. So, so if, if you, you know, I, I don't like the show Preppers or anything like that. I think it's all absurd. But if you're preparing for s some future that's inevitable, we're all going to die, then let's go ahead and take care of that now so that we're not scared to death of death. That's my tweetable answer. <laughs> Um, yeah, I would encourage you to do the same thing. I, I have the same thing. Uh, you know, Mariah and I have a, a backup plan in case, uh, yeah, a backup file, I should say, in case, you know, something were to happen. I'm like, all right, this is where all my stuff is if you, if you absolutely need it. Um, man, I should just keep rambling until I get 140 characters. 140 character answer. Uh, I think I would say minimalism is about living deliberately. Preparing for death is one of the most deliberate things you can do. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> one other thing for you is uh, if you go to theminimalists.com slash death, I know it sounds like I made that up, but I didn't. <laughs> Um, you can see, I, I, uh, Ryan and I wrote out a whole plan of how we prepare for when we're going to go, and like the documents and everything that we, yeah. you know, a living will and trust and, and uh, emergency contacts, all that stuff. You can, you can check it out. I think you'll get some value from it. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Let's, let's do, let's do uh, three more, and then if we need a tiebreaker, we'll do a fourth, fourth more. Howdy. Hi, Josh. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to Hi. Seattle. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes, my name Love is Love the city. I do, too. <laughs> my name is Stephanie Wall, and I'm glad you guys made it to Slate Coffee Roasters. Saw that in, on Instagram. My husband and I are faithful patrons. Um, so I have a question for you, but before I do, I want to ask a question of the audience. If you could cheer if you listen to the podcast. So I know that there's a little joke on the podcast that every time Ryan and Josh say add value, you have to take a shot or a drink. No, no, you have to get rid of one item. That's what, that's what oh, we turned that, it that's into. that's what it's changed to? Oh, okay, yeah. I, I wanted to do that tonight, but clearly I'm pregnant, so I was like, well, I don't want to like take a drink of water because the theme of the night is minimizing, and I want to minimize my trips to the bathroom. Um, so uh, I just heard about your Patreon studio uh, campaign, and I signed up for that so I thought oh, why not you. give two dollars for every time you say add value to towards that tonight so and oh now she's goodness. broke yeah. wow <laughs> yeah maybe thank you so much for the support that's amazing you're welcome so I wanted to really add value lot. and contribute so um oh, well. uh so my question uh will give a background so I you know, have some family members I grew up with who uh liked a lot of stuff they kept a lot of stuff and, you know, me growing up, I actually helped some of my friends get rid of stuff and reorganize. And then I went to college with actually a lot of stuff. And um, about six years ago, I came across a, a blog called Zero Waste Home. And so I uh, kind of started to, you know, learn how to reduce my waste and reduce my belongings. And so I found you guys about a year ago and I've listened to podcasts, read your things. And I'm curious, since you've been with a lot of audiences, you've taken a lot of callers, um, what is the thing that you find that people, or the, what, what stops people the most in letting go, whether it's physical things or relationships 
What's, what's one or two things that people struggle with? What's that obstacle? Man. Um, I think, I mean, the first two things I was thinking of when you said that was the fear of missing out. I think that's a big one. Um, I think the other one is uh, just in case. Like that is, uh, like Josh said in the talk, it's three of the most dangerous words in the English language. I mean, that is why I had seven junk drawers um, is, is all for the, the just-in-case items. D do you have a tweetable answer? I think so. I mean, uh, whether it's sentimental items or, or whether it is the just-in-case items, I mean, people are often... They, I started with sentimental items, which I don't recommend to anyone. It's like, hey, get rid of your most difficult things first. And I definitely don't recommend that. But there, there are a million different justifications we give ourselves to not let go of something. But I think there are only two reasons why we don't let go. And this is my tweet of answer. There are two reasons we don't let go. Fear and greed. And, and if, we can, if we can think about the things that we want to let go of but refuse to for some reason... We're either afraid, we're, what are we afraid of? We're afraid to lose someone else's love or admiration or, or because if I get rid of that shiny car, because really what you're getting rid of is your a shiny car payment, and then maybe I won't get the love from the people that I'm trying to impress. That's not real love anyway. And if you can find a way out of that, I say, well, that fear is not rational. Or it's greed, right? I need to have more, 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 more. I mean, uh, that is often thought of at, in, in many cultures as a mental illness. In our culture, it's called success. And so what I found is that I realized that my greed doesn't just hurt other people. It gets in my way. And once I realized that, it was easier for me to let go of the greed and the fear. I uh, think... Uh, my 140-character response would be, it doesn't matter why we hold on to things. There is never a good enough reason to hoard. Letting go will always feel better than hoarding. Thank you. That was you, man. All right, I think we're tied up there. All right. One apiece, so uh, <laughs> this is, we'll, we'll do... Uh, what do we win? I, I don't know. You, I'll, I'll, give, <laughs> yeah, I'll give you your pride back. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. I've been missing that for a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll do two more, and uh, we'll see how it goes from there. How's it going? Hey there. Uh, my name's Alec. I'm from Seattle. I'm here with my wife, Wynn. Um, awesome. I've, I've listened to your podcast on accident. Uh, as I come to bed, and, thank you. And and she's and she's listened to it and is like falling asleep to it, and, and so she's really into. Thanks it. again. Now, that's. I just wanted to. So we have really enthralling content. Well, no, so I've got. So a, a few minutes ago, you said that uh, you know you talked about social media and how it's driven by ads, and you're basically you know, doing the will of these engineers who aren't necessarily evil, you know, but 
but it's, it's kind of a big, right? I just wanted to compliment you on the size of your balls to say that to a room full of software engineers. <laughs> One. But, but, I, but, uh, so my, my question is, um, I, <laughs> I, I really, I really appreciate what, um, what you have done in Thank my you. life just because it's made her a lot happier and I've mm. started to, you know, started to lean into it a bit. The problem is um, I have a project car that I've been working on for 10 years <laughs> and I have probably 15,000 pounds of tools that I use on a regular basis to work on that car and I intend to do another car when this one's done, etc. She supports me having these things because they add value to my life, but on occasion, we have the why do you have so much shit conversation. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we talk about it and it's just, an, it's a good conversation to have and at the end it's like, okay, well, everything's fine now, but how would you reconcile those, I mean, that, those things seem to be at odds with one another. Yeah, they do. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think we can reconcile it. Uh, a few things. Um, first off, yeah, it's you know, whether or not there's engineers or it was a room full of advertisers. You know, I'm, I'm going to say the same thing every time. Um, I got an email today. I shit you not from from advertise.com. <laughs> wanting to advertise on our podcast. Now, I'll tell you this, we, we turn down tens of thousands of dollars every month because we, we get like you know, three to six million downloads uh, of the podcast every month. And, and we could have you know, just a, a huge stockpile of cash if I was willing to compromise my values to, to such a degree where it wasn't just bending them, but it's breaking them and it's stepping on top of them. Break them off. And so when I get when I get emails like that, I just usually respond with a ha 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 ha, <laughs> and and then a colon and then a link to our very first episode that says, "This episode of the Minimalists is brought to you by nobody because advertisements suck." <laughs> All right, let's get down to to your tension the, and the occasional tension in the household. Uh, not enough to disrupt the relationship it sounds like, but actually that can be, that can be misleading uh, because there are a lot of small things that will add up to a long-term discontent and we don't realize it at the time. And so I think it's important that you're addressing it now. The old apothem is you want to kill Godzilla when he's a baby, not when he's taking over the city. And, and I, I think that it's good you're addressing it now, right? And, and so what I'll tell you, and I'll get down to a short three-word answer, I think, uh, but um, ultimately it has to do with, with understanding and it has to, in order to understand another person, you have to move past tolerance and you have to move into acceptance, respect, and ultimately appreciation. And I think to a great extent what you're, what you're telling me is your wife accepts where you should, she's moved beyond tolerating right now and, and you need to help her find a way to not just accept what you're doing, what she's doing and doing very well and bravo to her for that, 
but what can you do to help her respect it? And, and I think one of the things you could try is, you said you have 15,000 pounds of tools. I don't know if you mean like British pounds, like $15,000 worth of tools or, or, or just you know seven tons of tools. Um, but what I'll tell you is that sometimes limitations breed creativity. And I find this to be true whenever I'm creating. I will intentionally put myself in a situation, not of long-term deprivation, but I'll remove the things from my life for a temporary period of time and bring back in only the things that I need. You saw it with Ryan's packing party and you realize, oh, wait a minute, 80% of the stuff I'm not using at all. And I think you might find the same thing with your tools. It might not be 80%, but my short answer to you is limitations breed creativity. Cool, thank you. Thanks for giving me that time to think. <laughs> uh, I don't know if this isn't nearly as pithy, but I would say it takes big balls <laughs> to admit to yourself that buying another tool isn't going to make you a better mechanic. <laughs> Bravo. I think that's actually 140 characters, too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for keeping track. Thanks for the Thank question, you, man. <laughs> All right, let's see if I can tie it up here. All right, real quick, my name is Jen. I'm from Tacoma, Washington. Tacoma, yeah, Tacoma. Tacoma. Yeah. So my, my simple question, I saw you guys on Netflix, totally got hooked. I'm starting to be a minimalist. Um, my question is, do you guys have any ideas on being a minimalist with three dogs without getting rid of the dogs? <laughs> well, she stole my answer. <laughs> Keep it Oh, dogs. no. You know, it's funny. Like, um, people will always say, like, oh, you don't have kids. Uh, so, I mean, to me, they'll say that because I don't have any kids. Uh, it's, it's easy for you because you don't have kids. And uh, Josh was telling me about how he was, I, don't, I figure where you were in Postman somewhere, and someone came up to you and they were like, oh, this is your, this is your three-year-old. Yeah. I was at the, the, the museum, like a dinosaur museum with Ella, and uh, we were in Bozeman, Montana, and, and I just was walking around with her, I had her up on my shoulders and stuff, and uh, this lady came up to me and said, hey, you're one of those minimalist guys, right? Yep. And, uh, uh, and, and she's like, well, you're not still a minimalist now that you have a kid, right? <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. And she goes, and I could see her walking around. She had several kids with her, um, at least three. And, and um, she goes, well, how can someone who has kids be a minimalist? And I said, it's harder to be a minimalist with kids, but it's so much more important yeah. And I think you could extrapolate that and transpose it on, onto something else, whether it's, it's having pets or, or it is being in a relationship in general, or if it has to do with having a full-time career or whatever it may be. It may be harder to be a minimalist within these other confines, but often that's because it's more important. Yeah. Um. Man, I keep talking. <laughs> 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 
No, I. What about I, your cat? I, you have a cat. I don't. Oh wait, I do have a cat. <laughs> well, it's not my cat. It's Mariah's cat. But by default, he's yeah. The my other cat, cat minimized. <laughs> no, I mean I I'm do. just kidding. It lives on a very nice farm somewhere. <laughs> no, I, I did find he like we we started. Um, to go on the road uh, with, with that, that first book, uh, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. And we'd leave for two weeks and I'd drop him, his name was O'Malley, I'd drop him off at my mom's place for her to watch. And then I'd come back after two weeks and like, he was just like wrecked. <laughs> like, he just looked at me like, what are you doing to me? So I would like try and find people to house sit and just like every time I left, he, I, he, it would get worse and worse. Like he's, his whole mood changed. It was really weird. Um, and I felt really, really bad. So I actually did find him like a really really awesome home like the the gal who has him now uh, was her and her husband and they have a child but like she'll still send me like videos and stuff like of of the cat so he, he really does have a really nice home yeah <laughs> so would you have a cat now yeah we do have a cat now um and as much as i pretend to not like him i really love him a lot <laughs> And I'm more of a dog person. Like he, and that's why I like the O'Malley because he was he was like a dog. Like he come up and like when I came home from work, he'd be like patting on me and like drooling on my leg. Uh, it was it was it was really cute. All right, um, I've rambled long enough. I don't have anything nearly as good as that. But uh, I guess what I would say is it doesn't matter how many kids or pets you have. It just makes your minimalism look a little different from others. Thank you. Sweet. I think, I think we tied it up on that one. Tiebreaker time. Here comes our tiebreaker. Howdy. Hi. I'm Jess. I live hey, Jess. in Seattle. Awesome. Joshua, you helped me get some last minute tickets to this. Thank you. Awesome. Um, I'm curious about how the both of you ended up in Montana. You did that Sunset Magazine yeah, thing, right? Okay. Me. Yeah. Um, we talked on the phone a couple years ago. Okay. Um, I'm curious how you both ended up in Montana, and also if you if you feel like the ease or difficulty of being a minimalist is tied to geography, whether mm. you're in an urban area or a more rural area. I mean, I, I tend to think that people in more rural areas, closer to nature, maybe are less involved in things. But I know also that they tend to have more square footage and sprawling acreage and the confines of an urban area maybe downsize us a little bit. I'm curious what you found. Yeah, one word, skinny dipping. <laughs> Seriously, I was, we, Ryan and I were, were driving from Vancouver, BC down to Dayton, Ohio. It was the very last tour stop of our uh, very first tour. Uh, what, this is our eighth tour in seven years, so seven, six years ago. And um, we, were, we were driving through uh, Montana, and I'd never been to Montana, never thought about Montana, but it was Montana summer, and I just knew it was like, oh man, it takes like 10 hours to drive through this huge state. And we woke up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, <laughs> some folks from Coeur d'Alene here. Um, but uh, we, we woke up in Coeur d'Alene and we drove into Montana and it, it like got progressively more beautiful. And by the time we got past Missoula, which is where we live now, it's the first time in my life I ever did a triple take. I looked over to the side of the road, there was a waterfall 
like a little small waterfall, and six naked college kids skinny dipping. It looked like an Abercrombie and Fitch ad. <laughs> or, or really like what they try to affect in an Aber Abercrombie and Fitch ad. And right as I looked over with a slack jaw, I... This is not a joke. There was a bald eagle that was flying overhead. <laughs> True story. I'm from Dayton, Ohio. Only time I've ever seen a bald eagle was on a coin. And, and so I looked over at Ryan, he looked over at me, and we, the whole tour we'd be looking for the place to go to write our next book. So we, we rented a cabin in the middle of nowhere, uh, about two hours outside of uh, Missoula. Uh, it's like on the side of a mountain, and there was one traffic light in 3,400 square miles. And it was Montana winter when we got there. And we woke up every morning to negative 28 degrees and the only thing to do there is write. And so we did that. We wrote a book called Everything That Remains. It's still my favorite thing that we've, we've ever created. And um, during that time, I found, uh, we found ourselves gravitating more toward Missoula. It was two hours away, and we'd make the terrifying drive down I-90 in the Montana winter to get there. And so we ended up moving there uh, about four years ago. And, and I'll tell you this. You asked the question about geography. Does it make it harder or or easier, and I think the answer is yes to both of those. Uh, I think quite often it's easier to be a minimalist in a place like Montana because you're less bombarded with inputs, just whatever those inputs might be. You know, we see hundreds of thousands of discrete inputs every single day, and you're going to see fewer in a place like Montana, for sure. Or we were just in Vermont recently. There are no, there are no billboards in the entire state, and it is awesome. It is so nice to, it seems surreal at first. You're like, what the hell's wrong with this place? <laughs> and you realize it's like, there's less visual clutter. And how great is that? But it's much harder to be a minimalist in Montana, even in a place like Missoula, which is the big city, 67,000 people there. And uh, because you don't have access to much stuff. So if I, if I want to go and, and buy a piece of furniture or if I, and if anytime I want to go do something, I want to go to a concert, I have to drive to Seattle to go to a concert most of the time. It's just a quick seven and a half hour jaunt down the street. And so it's a lot harder from that perspective because I don't have access to as many experiences uh, that I want to have experience, uh, that I want to have access to. And so I think we're shifting from a culture of ownership to a culture of access. If you want to own more, living in a place like Montana might be ideal for you. Um, if you want to have access to more things, then you'll want to have access to a bigger city. And so I don't see myself staying in Montana long term. It's been a great experiment, but I also think that it's important to graduate from a place before you want to divorce it. That's my short answer. It's funny. Uh, I, I just... I hear so many people just say, um, going back to the, the, I forget her name before, she, who had the three dogs, people will have a lot of excuses as to why they uh, can't live a, a minimalist lifestyle. And I'm not saying that, like Josh and I are not out proselytizing, we're not trying to convert people to minimalism, but you know, I look at minimalism as a practical lifestyle. And 
I, I think anyone could really apply to their lives, but people will have excuses. Well, I've got, you know, I've got three kids and I've got three pets or I live in the middle of nowhere or, uh, or, you know, it's easier for you because, you know, you, you were on both sides of the spectrum. So, you know, it's easier for you to be a minimalist, but I guess what my tweetable answer would be is there isn't one damn good reason to not live a deliberate life. Yeah. Look at that. It was a tie. Holy moly. All right, y'all. Well, uh, sorry, I don't have, we don't have a bunch of time for any, any other questions. We need to move on to our added value segment. We're doing this one a little bit differently. Usually we'll recommend you an album or an object or a movie or something that we've gotten value from recently. But since we're here in Seattle, let's try to get a little Seattle-centric. Yeah, man. Ryan, what's been adding value to your life recently? What are you enjoying here Some, in Seattle? Someone mentioned Slate Coffee earlier. If you haven't been to Slate Coffee, they are... It's one of my favorite coffee shops in the country. Um, they have, well, God love the barista next door. I went in there. I thought every single Slate uh, coffee shop did this deconstructed espresso, which hearing that uh, doesn't really sound appealing to me. Like, you know, uh, it's it's literally deconstructed espresso. Like, here's some espresso, here's some milk, and then they kind of, like, do their own, uh, like, latte, uh, cortada-type drink. Um, but Josh uh, introduced it to me um, the last time we were in Seattle. It is it is like one of the best drinks, one of the best coffee drinks I have ever had. So I went over there and I'm like, give me the deconstructed espresso, please. And the barista was like, yeah, we don't do that here, man. I'm sorry. Like that's, <laughs> that's the other slate over on the other side of it's town. It's the one over in uh, Ballard. Yeah. But uh, I was like, all right. So yeah. I was just looking, I was like looking at the men. He's like, but we have other special drinks here that we don't do at the other stores. Um, so I'm like sitting there looking at the drinks and I could, he, I could just like feel him feeling sorry for me. <laughs> and he's like, you know what, man? He's like, it's not busy. And he's like, I haven't made that drink in so long. He's like, I will. He's like, I'll just go ahead and make you one, man. So he totally hooked me up. So, uh, you, <laughs> if you go there at the right time and look pitiful enough, <laughs> they will totally make you deconstruct an espresso next door. But uh, yeah, I would go out of your way uh, to go to Slate. And if and if you are a fan of coffee, um, yes, uh, the deconstructed espresso in the Slate over in Ballard. Is that what you said? Yeah, it's in Ballard. Yeah, it's it's, it's good out spot. of this world. Out of this world. It's so good. Yeah, they just have really good coffee in general. Um, so every time I, I drive out to Seattle, which is relatively frequently, probably once every three or four months to come see a concert, um, I, I'm always starving by the time I get to Bellevue. Yes, I get a Chirashi bowl at, uh, is it Masashi's? Am I right there? Yeah, so there's one like a mile from here, and I was gutted that I didn't have time to go there today. But it is, it's the best sushi that, I mean, and we've had a lot of sushi on the road. Um, it's the best sushi that I've had personally, although I've never been to Tokyo. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's great. So that one always adds value to my life because I'm always starving by the time I, I get there. Um, all right, well, let's talk real quick about right here, right now. We already had someone mention the Patreon account. Thank you for mentioning that, and thank you for contributing. Ryan and I are in the process of building a recording studio and a film studio so we can make more meaningful video creations. Did any of you see our documentary? Awesome. Well, you can thank a few folks that are here tonight. Uh, Matt Diavella, I think, is up front. Is that 
That is, oh, he's up there. Oh. Matt Diavella, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. If, if you loved our documentary, it's all because of Matt. I mean, it was all his work. He directed it. He edited it. He, he, he did all the, the grunt work. If you hated the documentary, you can blame Ryan. Yeah. Sorry about that. And we have another talented filmmaker here tonight. Uh, his name's Conrad, and he is right over here, manning the ones and twos. <laughs> um, we're out here filming this. And we don't really know what we're going to do with all of this yet. But that's how the documentary started. But what I can tell you is we want to make a lot more meaningful video creations, whether it's video essays or live streams or video podcasts is definitely something we're going to dive into, bringing guests on and, and doing uh, different interviews or, or, or Q&A sessions. We want to do a lot more with video work. And we could use your help. Because we refuse to clutter our podcast with advertisements, we're, we're asking uh, at least 1% of our subscribers supporters. So if you want to become part of the, the 1%, that is the 1% that helps us out uh, <laughs> in, in building this studio, you can just go to theminimalists.com and, and click on the donate button up there. You can support us on a per episode basis through Patreon. Patreon is a service that allows, allows people who listen to a podcast or, or view creations in some way to, to support on a regular basis. If you just want to give a buck or two an episode, that would help us out a lot. By the way, 100% of the money goes to either the studio or to pay podcast Sean. You know, he has a family he has to support. We want to pay him full time. And um, none of the money goes to, to me or Ryan. In fact, if there's any money left over, we're, uh, we, we we're getting go- minimalist jets. <laughs> <laughs> What, we're not? Brian, I said we could get one jet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) nothing exceeds like excess. Um, No, uh, we we go out of our way to to donate to charity and find ways to contribute. And speaking of, if you find value in our podcast, if you want to leave us a review, well, whether it's a five-star review or any other star review, we obviously prefer five stars, but... um, you can leave an honest review. We also want you to be honest. This month, which is May 2017, for every review, we're donating 10 bucks in your name to the Against Malaria Foundation. They, um, I, do you all know this, that, that half the people who have ever died, ever died from malaria? So half the people who have ever lived on Earth have died from malaria. And um, we can change that. $3,500 saves one life. It gives us enough money to buy mosquito nets. Uh, they're insecticide-treated mosquito nets to save, to save one life. Uh, and over the course of a life, is $3,500. And so every time we get 350 reviews, we'll have enough money. And we'll donate it in your individual names as well. So if, if you're interested in helping out, it's a free way to contribute as well. Uh, you can just leave a, a, a review on iTunes. And there are like 800 people here tonight, so we could save two lives if all of you were willing to, to leave a review. So, um, yeah, if you want to do that, just hop on iTunes, leave us a review, and uh, we're really grateful for that. And we'll, we'll save some lives together. And by the way, it helps get our message out to more people as well. So it's not completely altruistic, but getting those reviews gets our podcast into more people's feeds. And I got some more notes here, so I should probably walk through these really quickly. 
Oh, afterward, I'm told I'm supposed to tell you this. Apparently, some of you uh, bought some special uh, VIP tickets, which got you really awesome seats up front, so thank you for that. But uh, you also have a special line afterward. So we do a meet and greet afterward. So once this is all over, we'll, we'll come back out there in 20 minutes or so. And uh, I guess there's a special line for the VIP folks. But don't worry, you're all VIPs in, in my mind. And so we, if you stay after, we give out hugs, they're free and transferable. Uh, you need six a day for happiness, 12 a day for growth, they say. Um, so yeah, we'll be out there with that. We'll have uh, books. If you can't afford a book or you forgot to bring your wallet, don't worry, we'll, we'll buy you a book. So we'll happily give you a book. It's on us uh, if you want one. Or you can just come for a hug or a photo or, or whatever, whatever you like. Um, oh, and some, some thank yous here. Uh, what about the Neptune Theater? Holy moly, yeah. what a great place. Yeah, I, I've, uh, we've been to a bunch of different venues and this tour has been so much, I mean, thankfully, this is the first time we've ever charged people to come to our tours because the stops just got so big that we like, Ryan and I can't afford to rent this theater and allow everyone to come for free, but we don't really make any money from touring. What, what we do is we pay the people that we work with and then obviously rent out theaters like this. So we're really grateful to be able to have the opportunity to, to speak in, in a really awesome place like this. And I think most important, I want to thank you for being here. I know that it costs some money to get in here, but it costs more than that. It costs your most precious resources. It costs your time and it costs you your attention. And you could have been anywhere tonight. You decided to give us that time and attention. And we are really grateful. And if you leave here with one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Seattle. Thank you. Hey, y'all, just wanted to break in real quick. I hope you enjoyed that live version of the Minimalist podcast in Seattle. Uh, real quick, we're, uh, we're still on the road. It's called the Less Is Now Tour. We're in the middle of the first leg and we just announced the additional dates for the rest of the year. So we are coming to a city near you real soon. We'll be in San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland. That's the end of the first leg there. But then the second leg starts later this year. We're headed up to Canada, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, and then back to the States in Philadelphia, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Salt Lake City, Denver, Phoenix, Austin, Dallas, Houston, Nashville, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Tampa, Detroit, and Milwaukee. So we're headed to 40 cities this year. Hopefully, it's your city, and if not, it should be a short drive away. If all this goes outstanding, we'll, we'll hit the road again next year and maybe even do some international dates next year. So stay tuned for that. Uh, speaking of what's going on in the lives of the minimalists right now, we're doing a few things. We're trying to build a podcast studio and film studio all together. We want to give you a video version of this podcast, but we also want to create more meaningful audio and video creation. So some video essays, some live streams, 
some mini documentaries, interviews, special guests, a whole bunch of other stuff we want to experiment with. But we need your help because we, we refuse to clutter our podcast with advertisements. And that means we need to rely on you to give us some support via Patreon. So my question for you is, would you be willing to help us out? We're looking for a dollar or two per episode. You can contribute on a per episode basis. Just go to theminimalists.com and then click on the donate button there at the top or the donate little tab there and it will take you to a page and you can either donate via PayPal or Patreon. Patreon is the most sustainable way. It allows us to build and create. And by the way, none of that money goes to me or Ryan. It's going to be used exclusively to build a podcast and film studio to pay Podcast Sean, our producer, full-time a living wage and so he can support his family and then also to hire a full-time filmmaker. If we have any money left over, we will be giving that to charity. Speaking of charity and giving, if, if you don't have the money to, or you can't afford to contribute to our podcast, it's totally fine. We're really looking forward up to, to you contributing in other ways. So if you want to help us spread this message, you can go to iTunes and you can leave a five-star review, or you can leave a one-star review. You, you leave whatever review you want. I don't want to coerce you into to what you should or shouldn't do. But for every review that we get this month, May 2017, which is ending soon, we are going to donate $10 in your name to the Against Malaria Foundation. Now, did you know that, that half the people who have ever lived on Earth have died from malaria? And so we have the opportunity to give back a little bit to, to save a few lives. So 10 bucks gets donated in your name if you leave us a review. And it costs about $3,500 to save one life because what we're trying to do is buy a bunch of insecticide-treated mosquito nets, and we do that through the Against Malaria Foundation. $3,500 saves one life. So you buy enough nets over the course of one's lifetime to save at least one person from malaria. How awesome is that? And you don't have to contribute a penny. We will contribute that for you if you leave us a review on iTunes this month. We can do something cool, we can save some lives, but also we can spread this simple living message. It'll get in front of more people and, and into more ears. So if you'd be willing to take 60 seconds, we'd be grateful for that. Until next time, we'll see you on the road. Enjoy these, these comments and tips from our listeners. Hi guys, Cami here. For the last 15 years, I have been approximately 95% of the time underwear free. Why, you might ask. It has nothing to do with me being a minimalist. Matter of fact, while I'm purging like crazy, I'm still far from it and on the journey to it. May never reach it, or maybe I will. But in the meantime, I'm walking that walk with no underwear on my butt. Why, you ask? Because I just have the kind of butt that underwear don't work well with. But I wanted to share with you that while this may sound like a good idea from a cost standpoint, because female panties, they run you a buck. I have to say, from a value standpoint, it doesn't work out in the end. Because when your pants double as your underwear, you really need to wash them each time that you wear them. So any of you thinking that you may minimize your underwear, pause for a minute. Think it through. You may not want to. You're welcome. Hi, guys. This is uh, Mike from Rochester. I love the show. Uh, I had another thought that might uh, add to your discussion of debt and credit cards and long-term loans. Uh, one way to, to think about it is if you're going to purchase an item 
and it's going to go into either revolving debt or a loan, it might be helpful to picture the interest uh, and the cost. I know a lot of times in the past when I when I made purchases, I would think of it as face value. You know, this is a $100 item, and I'm paying $100 for it. But if it's 22% interest and it's going into a credit card that already has a large balance on it, it's going to churn that interest uh, for a long time. So, so maybe it's a, a helpful way for, for people to avoid going into a debt or making a credit card purchase. And then uh, I don't know if you have any shortcuts or ways to think of it where you could, you know, add a arbitrary amount to, to an item to kind of picture what it's really going to cost you in the long run, say it's a $100 item or a $1,000 item or a $30,000 car, and then uh, even further than that, you know, a $200,000 house. Uh, I think people don't realize the the added cost of financing those items, such as a house. If you put a mortgage on a $200,000 house, there's going to be a, a lot of extra cost um, if you put that into a mortgage or, you know, a smaller item on a credit card. Hi Josh and Ryan, my name's Tom. I'm a huge fan and regular listener of your podcast. Um, I'm actually calling from London, England. Yes, that's London. Uh, so we're talking fish and chips, cup of tea, bad food, even worse weather, Mary Poppins. Yeah, that's London. Um, I wanted just to speak about creative limitations and Josh that you speak in this. I absolutely love the idea of creative limitations ever since um, I first kind of um, got exposed to it and I'll tell you how it actually happened it was in my final year uh, university uh, degree studying film um, and for our final year product you spend a, a, nearly a whole year making our final film uh, a fictional piece uh, so you're talking ex- cameras lighting rigs sound so many elements that are going into making uh, a good film and we thought we'd done a really good slick polished job and there's obviously lots of films uh, contending for the kind of prize of the best film of the year and um, it was actually judged by Jan Harlan and those of you who don't know Jan Harlan uh, was the executive producer on a lot of Stanley Kubrick films so we're talking The Shining, Full Metal Jacket um, and AI uh, amongst others um, and you know we thought we had in the bag there was a, the, this film that we made was really slick really well polished thought this is it this is awesome and there's a few other contenders that didn't, didn't seem that good um, and then Jan actually picked I, it was it, arguably if you looked at the film it didn't look aesthetically pleasing um, and everyone was almost a bit stunned you know why is this big top executive producer from the film world picked such a basic film I don't get why, what his rationale was and afterwards everyone was, was stunned and just listening to what he had to say about it and he said for me this film may be basic but it conveys narrative it is a conclusive story it is film um, and in that moment then, I knew that that's just so true. I mean, some of the best stories that we know, be they from books or films, it's not necessarily about how well made they are or how well they look. It's this narrative they convey. Um, and I love that because you can uh, apply that to everywhere in life, be it your job, your relationships or personal life. Um, we get so wrapped up in all the things that we think are aiding towards those, but really you just need to look at the main message, the main uh, objectives we want to achieve from each of those areas. Thing you think that you need 
Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for And you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it So take your eyes away Or take your eyes away 